you know, what is order here and what is centering here is, you know, emotion, it's family, it's, you know, trying to grapple with loss, trying to grapple with things you cannot have. This is a Marvel movie actually about something. All of these Marvel, all of these Guardians of the Galaxy movies have been. And in this one in particular, it turned me into a blubbering mess at the end. And Marvel movies don't make me cry. They make me, my eyes roll. But uh, like the, 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 the moist meter of, of my eyes was to like such an extent this go around that, you know, by the end, I like had to just, you know, like walk, find a quiet place and be alone. Because... stream a film podcast i am matt and that is chuck and this is episode number seven the summer blockbuster season is here and with it james gunn's final installment in the guardians of the galaxy series after a string of misses is it a return to form for the mcu or is it just another rocky outcrop that's going to hit them on the way down we'll discuss that and more in our featured review Along with a couple of smaller stories, in the news this week, it's led by quite possibly the most important story that we'll talk about all year, the Writers Guild of America strike. We'll go over what the writers are asking for, what happened the last time there was a writer's strike, and what this all means for us as the audience. And finally, rounding out the show, we'll talk about what we've been watching in the watch list, what else we've been doing this week in the mentionable, and our favorite show or movie and pick of the week. Timestamps are in the episode description. Like and subscribe if you like what you see. Rate us on your podcast service if you like what you hear. That's the business end of the show. And I guess before we get into the serious business stuff, we got a little bit of a palate cleanser here, don't we? We certainly do. Because yeah. I totally got baked out when we were talking about, I think it was CinemaCon, like a week or so ago. Because I... Like got totally fooled by a very very clever uh, editor who made a convincing Dune two Dune Part two trailer, and I watched it and I was like, wow, that legitimately, like everything that is in this, down to the music cues and the 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 voiceover shot that they put in it, I bit that so hard and believed it hmm. that I was like, wow, they they got a trailer out that looks really cool. I don't know how they did it. It might have been AI generated <laughs> for all I know. Because the the genuine article is was so much better. 
oh my god this movie the 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 imagery that they have put into this this was for the fans like they know that the normies really didn't check dune out and like really didn't get it if you know what i mean like film stops were there they were there for for denny villeneuve but oh my god this is everything i've ever fucking wanted like a a five-year-old boy who like heard my dad read the chapter you know that you know begins with the the gamja bar and all that shit like mm-hmm. like awoke seeing paul atreides on that fucking sandworm saying may may your knife chip and shatter i was just like yes this is all i've ever <laughs> fucking wanted from my my entire life so yeah like I, obviously i'm hyped but what did you think <laughs> yeah i mean i i guess i'm kind of coming from the layman perspective here we, we've talked about it before i i have not read the book and so all I really have to go on is the look and you know I'm looking at these you know how some of this stuff is shot and it looks incredible it almost looks as if these in this second half of the book and the second movie do we go to the uh, Harkonnen like homeworld does that happen we fucking do yes okay because i'm seeing these scenes i'm seeing these scenes that are almost look like they're shot in like black and white with sort of bluish hue to everything and i'm thinking like okay we're clearly going to like their their home world or something and so that that's what has me excited it's a neat little like uh tertiary part of the story it's uh it's where a benny jesuit uh who's being played by uh what's her name is it Le- leah Sidhu? leah Sidhu. yeah yeah um the, she's the count the, the countess fenring who's a Bene Gesserit, just like uh jessica and she's being sent there to basically uh you'll get impregnated by uh fade rautha played by uh, elvis and yeah, it looked, and that's what I thought too. I was like, wait, is that in black and white? What the fuck are they doing? And then I realized, oh, it's because it's Gady Prime. Because it, like they've actually thought it out and they for some reason have decided that because of the sun that Gady Prime is orbiting, that's why they're all bald and albino looking. It's because they're getting irradiated. Like they are like a mutated, fetid, you know, like offshoot of the human species at this point because of the planet they live on. And that sequence that we're kind of seeing is this gladiatorial fight that Fade Rautha is participating in because he just does it for fun, you know? Mm. And he's taking on an Atreides slave, a survivor of the, like the what, like an Atreides soldier who is like, like ready to fucking get his revenge for the death of his Duke. It's an awesome sequence. So yeah, okay. look forward yeah. to that. It's going to be cool. Yeah, it looks awesome. And I mean, it's early enough that I think we'll get another, we'll probably get another trailer, at least one more before the film is released. And, you know, give me some shots of Christopher Walken. Give no me shit. some, yeah. Who is Tim <laughs> give me some, uh, even playing? We don't know. Like we suspect, well, but yeah. I, yeah. I, I've heard, I don't know if, I mean, it hasn't been announced officially, but I heard that he's playing uh, Leah Sado's, is it husband? Yeah, the Count Benedict. Is that, he's the, yeah. the, the mentat for the Emperor. So we like when we see the, the Emperor on screen, he's going to have Tim Blake Nelson next to him in some ridiculous, you know, Dune getup. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be almost as mm-hmm. good as having the, the, the Emperor being played by Salvador Dali, but, you know, like, not quite. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this is what we're getting. And speaking of what we're getting, you like this was a last minute edition at the 11th hour. You were just like, (laughs) have you done the graphics yet? We need to talk about this. And initially, all I was taken to was this blank ass splash page 
that just said like you know like after has never been so you know, before has never been so jealous of after oh yeah so yeah, stupid so such a dumb take and eventually what is unearthed is that this is something called tv which is coming to us from pluto.tv founder Ilya Zikoyevich or whatever the fuck his name is <laughs> but this is dystopian as fuck but why don't you explain to the to our audience what exactly tv or telly is going to be and like what they should consider before you know signing up for it yeah so what this is uh and people who are watching you can go to tv.com right now and you can see this tease and i think it actually got somebody published the website a little too early and that's kind of what kicked off all this stuff but basically this is a television with a persistent second screen and we don't quite know what that means whether that's like literally another screen on top like a physical screen or if it's just like a you know like a picture in picture type thing if you've ever done that on your 4k tv where you watch two things at once um it might be that you know just a little like seven by three inch thing in the corner of your screen that shows advertisements the entire time that your tv is on consistently you can't get rid of it you may be able to cover it up we don't know about you know whether or not you could do that yet but and the idea behind this i think i mean again they haven't said but the idea would be that they would sell you, you this tv for either nothing or maybe even pay you to to have it in your home yeah and it, they would just show you ads constantly while you're watching to your other programming and the, the other question is it on even when your tv is off yeah that, that's a good question yeah i don't know i mean it's it's uh it's pretty dystopian and it's pretty you know you've got to think about what kind of privacy destroying tech is in this things well, like yeah um and you know out of was the connect do you remember that little piece of geometry? yeah one of the selling uh -huh. points of it of that like which was if you don't remember it was motion control for xbox mm -hmm. 360 mike you know like your era from microsoft and part of the selling point of it was oh they could tell how many people were in a room watching something so they could hike mm -hmm. your rate if you were having a bunch of people over to watch the super bowl or something like yep. that like that's where this is that's where it really gets fucked up because yeah like why can't i just cover this thing up and act like it's not even there well, my guess, if, if I had to, you know, hypothesize about this, is that we see a lot of VR headsets nowadays that have eye tracking tech in them. Um, I think the Quest, the, the Meta Quest 2 has that. I believe that the, um, the Steam, the newest Steam headset has that. So my guess is um, this TV is going to have some sort of eye tracking software in it that you know needs to be able to see your eyes while you're watching it to know that you're looking at the screen and if you're not then it'll pause what you're watching or it'll like mute it it'll do something it's like um it's like a like a tesla teslas have this too where if the tesla detects that you're looking down at your phone texting it'll it'll blare a noise and say hey look up at the road dumbass and so i'm assuming that's what this is gonna to have and then we're you know just a few you know meters adjacent from the slippery slope that leads to 
that Black Mirror episode, 15 million merits, if you remember that yeah. one, where like, oh no, you have to watch the porn ad or we're going to like blast this sound at you, you know, yeah. over and over and over again until you look at it, you know, like that, that that's where, that's where this is going. Uh, ultimately, mm -hmm. it's going to be, you're going to not own the thing you have, you know, mm -hmm. like, which is you know something that we've lamented on before. Like I... Uh, Louis Rossman just you know made a video about a it was like a, a VR headset for drone pilots you know people who do professional <laughs> racing in that so the, yep. this this company you know didn't buy a like a firmware update you know you know code you know that you know, that they had from an employee it was licensed to them by the employee and they stopped paying for the license so he pulls their access you know you know to that thing from you know whatever the database is. So now all of their headsets are bricked because the people who sell uh, it to you don't maintain everything that is necessary to, you know, actually mm -hmm. make it functional. So now they have like a $5,000 piece of, you know, you know, what's the word paper, like a paperweight. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Know, not that it yeah. I mean, the big question with this is who would, who would choose to have this in their home, especially yeah. if, you know, if you're being paid to do this, I mean, I guess it depends on how much, but I, I guess I, there's a little bit of an argument there, but if this is free or even if it's like, you know, 50 bucks or something like that, there's no reason to have this because you can find, you know, bottom of the barrel TVs nowadays, you know, like, um, you know, the certain brands like Hisense or like Daewoo or, um, you know, even like some of the more respectable brands like Vizio, they, you know, around Black Friday, around the Super Bowl, two times a year, look for the TV sales and you can find a 40 inch, you know, 4K TV for 200 bucks. And it's like, why would you choose? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, why would you choose to to do this if, if that's, you know, that is an option out there, which it is. And so I, I don't understand the the idea behind this. And if, if I, you know, if I, I have a use case for this, what I think these should be used for, and we should take these TVs and put them in maximum security prisons to monetize the prison population. <laughs> Yo, oh shit, bro. No, see, no, you're just making 15 million merits more normal. You know, like you know, yeah. because that because that the prison belongs to all of us because all of society is is within the little box with the screen. Oh my god, mm -hmm. I don't. But I think you're right. Yeah, like you know, test it out on the the servile population because that's mm -hmm. essentially what our prison population is. They are the they are the guinea pigs. <laughs> they are the they are the slave labor, you know, for manufacturing and textiles and things like that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, why not? Why like why aren't we using the brain activity of prisoners to like make machine learning better you know what i mean like like why yeah. aren't prisoners being the ones talking to the chatbots why does it have to be us like <laughs> i guess maybe that answer that's that's a better maybe i think because then they'll be a lot like the people in the prison so i don't mm -hmm. know but with as far as this product goes it's coming to us from the, the, probably the, the smartest man in the room when it came to monetizing something old just in a new way because he just took mm -hmm. linear tv and had a very you know successful you know you know story within that industry i had emailed you about the people who did dark matter tv and like diy tv they're still sending me emails to my work email 
even though I've been oh, like, geez. hey, I can't write about you guys because you have nothing to do with this little pocket of the world that I live in. But mm-hmm. come to our, you know, talk to us on our podcast, you know, like, like, cause we're, <laughs> we're so important. And of course they don't, you email me there, but like the, uh-huh. they're another group of people and they make movies. Actually, they are making their own content for their linear mm-hmm. distribution platforms, which is not something that this guy is talking about doing here. So if there's not even content that is native to that box, why am I getting it? You know, like at yeah. least if you buy like an Apple TV, there's the implication that, oh, I'll get a package of Apple TV associated with this. And that's a good deal. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, like if you're not going to even bother making a product for this, you know, piece of IP, then like, what is the point? I don't know. There has to be more vision there. And I don't think that they really have it. I think he's just d- throwing his money away on whatever the fuck this is going to be. Because I'm just yeah. not buying it right now. You know, Same. Like, We'll find out later this year. I suppose. Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah making your own content is, is fucking hard, as we all know. And it's especially hard when you don't have those, you know, dirty, poor people in tattered clothing with the <laughs> pens and the keyboards and the laptops, you know, you know, toiling away in those, you know, mines that they you know call writer's rooms because they are on strike right now. And this is something we haven't seen since 2007. So yeah, like, like what is causing this, and what is precipitating? Like you know, not only precipitating it, but ultimately probably going to drive it to its inevitable conclusion. But like, what? Are the, mm-hmm. Why is this happening? Yeah. So uh, after about six weeks of of talks, the WGA decided to go on strike, and this is about twenty thousand people um, that work in the television and film industry. And what they want are ba- it boils down to. They want Hollywood to swear off using AI uh, to write scripts or to punch up scripts. They want better pay and better residuals. And then they also want a guaranteed number of writers on television shows based on how many episodes that show is. Essentially, the more episodes a season of TV is, the more writers get, you know, tacked on to the show. Okay. And that's kind of what it boils down to. Those are kind of the those are the three, you know, main points. Um, there is there's a couple smaller things, but those are the big ones. that's interesting because that ultimately kind of sets what the budget of a tv show can be you know when you get down to it because the writers are going to eat up so much of a percentage of it you know more than they used to and yeah like what kind of yeah how i I don't know but hey buddy boy (laughs) well i mean i think that you take um, it away for a second it's funny because uh, I think you flashed it up on the screen a bit, but they, the WGA has been very, very um, transparent with their dealings with the, it's called the AMPTP, um, is the organization of producers that they're sort of uh, rallying against. And they've been very transparent about their dealings with them. And it's, it's, it's pretty funny to look at their, their minutes um, from their meetings and what you see on almost every single like thing is this is what we asked for as the WGA and then over in the AM uh, PTP category it says 
rejected our offer, did not propose a counter. And it's just like on like half of the things they asked for. And it's the AM PTP is using almost like these Amazon like or Starbucks liked union busting tactics uh, like ignoring just flat out ignoring and refusing to talk about certain things or you know threatening people's jobs now uh they uh just yesterday actually a bunch of the companies involved with this including disney and paramount sent out like mass emails to all of their writers basically saying like yeah you can't write but you better be on set to do all this other stuff we're, we're gonna put you to work still we can't we can't make you write but we can make you go get the director's coffee or we can make you go get and it's it's nuts oh because God, they're like degrading as fuck. yeah it's crazy yeah yeah they I, I just added it to our doc yesterday and it's basically like the, they're basically saying if you don't come in and do this you know menial these menial jobs then we're gonna fire you and then we don't give a fuck if you're on strike because you've already been fired and so it's pretty crazy it's it's pretty despicable too when you get down to it. when you think about how much fucking money is being spent on all the content that these people are writing on and yeah and just how little you know work they're ultimately you know like is when you get down to it because yeah they there's there's only so many of your writers who can be in a room there's so much only so much credit they can even do you get for the work that they do you know there's already so many like you know, gates and you know, gatekeeps and you know, arbitrary ceilings put on you know you the various stages of like how you make money in this line of work and yeah you, you have people like that dude on the bear who's making so little money that he's you know negative while he's at an awards show that he wins an award at for the show he works on and, yeah and he's been pretty vocal <laughs> in there what did you think of uh adam conover i know he's he's kind of a a, a little you know a little you know, douchey boy i'll just call him that i don't really <laughs> yeah. like his content but it, yeah. it took some fucking cojones to go on david zavslav's news network and basically call him out for how much mm -hmm. money that that man gets paid 250 million dollars a year and maybe mm -hmm. he deserves it because he saved Warner Brothers Discovery so much fucking money. But yeah, I don't know. Not a good, not a good look when you consider how, like, what what that would mean for the ten thousand writers in the guild. That's only twenty thousand bucks a piece, you know, and that's all going to one dude. I don't know. It was that putting. I'm not a leftist by any means, but that was an in, in, interesting classist perspective when you look at the industry from the, the working man writer, like the guy on the bear and David Zaslav, you know, who mm -hmm. lords over the marketplace that, you know, the network that broadcasts the show belongs to. Um, yeah, his, his comments are interesting and it's funny how there have been kind of like these um, sort of figureheads that have emerged from this strike, like him and uh, Rob Lowe was out there, like picketing oh, with them, and and uh, Rob Lowe was like doing all these, you know, like TikToks and Instagram stories, and he was getting he was getting out there. And um, there's this woman, I, I I wish I could remember her name, but she's a writer from Cartoon Network, and okay. she also she just flat out came out and said like, I don't think you people realize how 
dire this is. And she basically laid out how like shitty things are right now within, you know, in the internal Cartoon Network and how like that that network is on the verge of just being completely like done, wow. like completely like Zazlav. Zazlav is ready to just hit the red button and just nuke it from the earth and so Shit. yeah all these sort of figureheads have emerged and that's sort of interesting and um and uh yeah it's 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 pretty crazy and i would encourage anybody to just go and and look at you know what the the wga is is saying on their various social media accounts because you know as we sort of transition here to talking about you know what happened the last time this went on uh, the last time there was a hundred day strike that's how long it lasted in 2007 and a lot of people will remember that and so when we you know it's important to look back and remember what happened and what could possibly happen now and so what do you remember about that the 2007 writer's strike the the show i associate most with the consequences of that strike is heroes the first yeah. season of that show was transcendent it was as hot as like lost ever was it was like what appointment you know television on a major network was all about you know as far as that era goes and it was at its peak season two was cooking they had a time travel narrative going on it was crazy and then the writer strike happened and they literally just like just went oh all of that didn't happen they just had to mm -hmm. abandon whatever the fuck it was they were doing in that period of the show and it completely derailed any chance that show had of succeeding because they had to spend the next like two seasons and like the reboot trying to make up for how much the writer <laughs> strike fucked up their plans but it, they weren't alone like uh, th there was a lot there was yeah like like i think in the right like you mentioned the document quantum of solace you know being like so slapped together that that movie the one time i watched it i walked out of it and i was like this that was a, a commercial it, it was just like mm -hmm. a james bond like lookbook for marketing you know like for the movie we didn't get the movie itself and mm -hmm. i don't know like what do you associate like, what, what do you remember specifically from the <laughs> goings on or like what, what even made it happen back then yeah, well, what I remember was um, the, the, one of the bigger ones was, I don't know if you've seen Friday Night Lights, but the yes. second season of Friday Night Lights is notorious for having a uh, storyline, a subplot where uh, Landry, one of the show's main characters, literally murders a guy in like a in a show about like high school football and he literally kills somebody and then like the that season of the show is about him trying to cover it up and it's it's pretty it's it's awful and so that was a part of the writer strike and i mean if people don't know um essentially the reason why this stuff happens is because while the writers are on strike they can't work on a film or tv show in any fashion when it comes to writing so they are not able to write a single word they aren't able to contribute a single word and they aren't able to do rewrites so studios are then left with uh, working with scripts that have already been completed or that they dig up from their like script graveyard or or they have non-writers writing these 
these shows and movies. Yeah. Uh, as you already stated with Quantum of Solace, Daniel Craig was literally on set writing his own dialogue. And um, and then you had, you had uh, movies like, um, I mean, that was a notorious summer for shitty blockbusters because you had um, Transformers 2, you had Terminator Salvation, Dragon Ball Evolution, just the worst of the worst franchise shit. And it was because of, of this writer's strike. Wow. See, I completely forgot about that Landry storyline. Yeah, it's so awful. So I just want to ask you, like, aren't, I don't know, they're kind of, aren't these writers opening themselves up to just be replaced by the thing they're asking studios not to use? Like, the AI, AI, yeah. Mm. Like, 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 is, isn't that like? Aren't they basically inviting their usage? Because, like, oh, we don't have an actual writer on the set, but we have every draft available to us, and we can just tell the algorithm to take all of that information and then give us a script that you know fits all these parameters we want, or just mm -hmm. fine tune the scene we're working on today. Like they, they are like it's like I can see what like why they're very fucking paranoid about it because it seems like exactly what a cynical producer would do to just get to the easiest the easiest route logistically to a you know produced daily that they can you know incorporate into the whole at some point because that's all that they're looking for which is why like um, what is it Rings of Power and another is it another Amazon show that or it's House of the Dragon. They are continuing, like without their showrunners, and is that yes. gonna, is that going to harm those shows? Or like, like what if we find out someday that oh yeah, part of House of the Dragon that season was done by Chat GPT, and that episode will have a reference acknowledging it? Like 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 is that inevitable? Or like is their covenants blocking them from doing that presently? Well, right now, the only safeguard, and it's not even really a safeguard, but the only thing that the WGA and the AMPTP uh, have in place regarding AI is the AMPTP has agreed to meet with the WGA once a year to talk about it. And that's it. They'll they'll get together in a room with the WGA and they'll once a year and they'll say, here's how much AI has it advanced. And that's pretty much it. So there's nothing stopping the studios right now from looking into AI. And so, yes, I think that's a distinct possibility, you know, what you were talking about. And but I guess the you know, at this point, I think like the government would have to step in regarding that stuff if they wanted to, because the thing about having something like AI write your programming is it's. I mean, AI can't really be credited because AI is pulling its all of its resources from other things. You know, the internet, all of the, you know, all of the published works of human history, AI is pulling from in order to write what it, uh, what it, it is writing. And so, I don't know. That's kind of the question, I think. And just to illustrate that, I, as an experiment, I, on an article I was writing about the North Dakota legislature. The Republican majority leaders were going to be having a press conference and I had to sit and watch it so that I could know what I needed to write and know what they had said. But I, mm -hmm. I just went to chat GPT and I asked them, OK, generate an article, this word count about this <laughs> subject. And since 
it was just going to the internet and looking at what articles existed. It could only yeah. write about things that had happened in the past. It could only write an article about an event that didn't happen on the date it said it did. Like it took, like it said it took place in a different location. Said it involved different individuals because it wasn't actually observing the actual event like I was because no one had written about it yet. You know, because there was there's nothing in the hole of the hive mind for it to plug into. So I don't know. The, the, it still requires the human element, I guess, is the, exactly the, is what I'm trying to get at. Because, yeah, like you, my my job still feels secure because as a, like a hyper local newspaper in that sense, there isn't going to be an algorithm that can be finely tuned enough to get all the information that actually needs to be included in something so that it's pertinent. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, even in this broad sense, it's like, yeah, that nightmare scenario I, I pointed out where the director or the producer just sits there and just types in some, you know, you know, does mad libs and then gets a new script in five seconds. Like, that's unlikely to you even, because eventually a human being is going to look at it and go, oh, no, that makes no sense. Or, yeah. oh, that feels really wrong. Like, that's inevitably, like, where these things go. But larger than that, like, beyond just the AI concern, like you like should there be more writers in working in Hollywood or is the or are the people who are representative of the WGA like should they just be better compensated like what should be, what should be happening more like should there be more elevation of people within that line of work or do those people just deserve a bigger slice of the pie than they're getting you know I, I think that they should the people who are there now, should probably just be compensated better because as I said earlier, one of the things that the WGA is asking for is more writers on TV shows per episode count. And this is the one issue that I have personally with what they're asking for. This is the one time I would side with the giant corporations in that I don't know if having a like, um, a certain number of writers or a, a mandatory number of writers is conducive to the artistic medium because, you know, some TV shows are the brainchild of one person and one person only and they write everything. Some TV shows have a writer's room. Some TV shows have a, a, a duo of of uh, a creative team duo that writes everything. And so I don't know if, you know, just tacking on more people to the writer's room isn't necessarily, you know, conducive to an artistic medium such as writing. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, keep the people that are there now, pay them better. We don't need more. Gotcha. So yeah. what's going to happen to the, sh the content that's coming down the pipe? Like what's mm -hmm. being delayed? What, like what is actually going to be, you know, have like a detrimental consequence of, you know, either being made you know, without the showrunners present or you know, being made, you know, you know, much later than expected. Well, right now, um, and this is this is being updated daily. Like, I think I've seen every single day this week, a new show has said that they are being delayed or a new movie. And it started with the variety programs and the talk shows, the late night talk shows. Those were shut down immediately because, you know, those shows are written usually the day before or the day of. And so no more talk shows, no more SNL for the foreseeable future. Then in the last couple days or so, we've seen the more um, 
you know, scripted stuff, the more like um, bigger stuff get delayed or or canceled. Um, the final season of Stra Stranger Things got delayed yesterday. Blade, Marvel's Blade has now been delayed. Um, season four, this is a, a really interesting one. Season four of the Paramount Plus show Evil. Yeah. Had, they, it wrapped production early. They just they just chose to you know stop production because wow. last last night the WGA members were picketing the location that Evil was yeah. filming at, and, and they couldn't uh, they couldn't film anymore because the the picketing was going on in the background. So they just said, "All right, that's a wrap for this season. We'll we'll edit around it, basically." Yeah, and that's a direct result of the 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 you know, direct action efforts of the of the guild uh you know, conover himself has is in those picket lines he's standing like eight to ten hours a day because like they all go in shifts specifically because they know yeah like like either you 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 cause them to you know have, like delay the time where the, the the studios can make their money when like when it can be done and yeah sometimes it is just easier just be like okay you're done see you next year see you when this is all over because yeah like they're not just going to keep paying everybody so there are consequences both ways and like they both can act like it's the other's fault that it's happening to a degree but yeah it's a, it's a deliberate you know like it's 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 interesting seeing these kinds of tactics being done in like in america because you like I, I know we we have we've had some strikes recently i know with like the rail people and whatnot but this is this is the writers this is you know the industry itself so they can coordinate their activities a little better you know so we you know what yeah. i mean like there's there's no one in the media who genuinely wants you to see what like a rail worker is trying to do you know in order to you know maintain their welfare and way of life but it's the writers we're really you know, concerned with, as you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this this is a story we probably, no doubt, will be checking in on, um, you know, in the in the coming months. But yeah, uh, yeah. Godspeed to the writers. You know, because <laughs> you know, that that one dude, the the guy from the Bear, he has a job at a movie theater, or like that's what he was hoping to get. Mm -hmm. You know, some people are going to McDonald's. You, know, you do what you got to mm -hmm. do in this world. Sometimes, yep. you know, you got to take the gigs that. You know, maybe don't make sense, you know, for your career. You're an art house guy. You have strange little movies about, you know, ghost stories and, you know, all kinds of other, you know, nonsense, reimagining fairy tales. So, yeah, of course, you're going to start taking gigs from, you know, the House of Mouse so you can reimagine all the weird stuff from the 60s and the 70s that they have in their stable. And sometimes it's more successful than others. Um, I'm talking, of course, about David Lowry. And his you know, recent release, um, Peter Pan and Wendy, which I you know watched and ultimately found boring, and I found myself hating <laughs> the whole time I was watching it. I was just like, can I just watch Hook instead? Can I turn this off and just watch Hook, which is the superior Peter Pan movie piece of art adaptation for me personally. I don't know. I know a lot of people hated that movie at the time and hate it today, mm -hmm. but I have affection for it. And this I have no affection for. It was just hollow. It was so weird. Everything about it was so weird. And it just, but not in a way that was interesting. It was just like, like why did you decide to do this? Was the question I kept on asking myself. Because uh, like this guy is, is, is a supreme filmmaker. I, I see his name. I take it seriously. 
but I could not take this movie seriously for some reason. It just didn't work. And mm -hmm. I, I know that you know, like part of the, the problem ultimately is that it was it was just put to streaming. It like its vision wasn't there, its budget wasn't there. You know, like I no doubt this was impacted by you know COVID and the weird you know, price model that Disney has to operate on in order to you know, keep the train wreck rolling forever. But this was wasted money. This is a movie that we did not need. It didn't soar to new heights. It just you know kept on diving down into dark little nooks and crannies of the pan mythos that no one really needs or cares about. Captain Hook is better as a character when he's just a weird brigand who's just a part of the the tableau. I don't need to like be have him be sympathetic, like like Dustin Hoffman's portrayal and the way that that character is written is the ideal way to do it because there's mystique and there was nothing about Pan or any of the or Wendy any of the characters in this that you know, ultimately lived up to the mystique of the property. Which is, you know, why it was so shocking to me that, like, immediately after this movie ended, um, Disney Plus was like, hey, do you want to watch Pete's Dragon? And I thought to myself, I don't know, I've heard better things about this movie. And, and confirming it for myself was great because it made Peter Pan all the more disappointing. Because Pete's mm -hmm. Dragon was so fucking good. It's a, a live-action Studio Ghibli movie, basically. It's the, those same kind of sensibilities. It has an environmental message that, you know, isn't preachy. You know, it's just kind of practical. And it, it doesn't try and do too much. Because the original Pete's Dragon is really whimsical and homespun and silly. You know, it's that animated dragon. So actually making it seem, like, real in a sense that isn't just grimdark. But it's, like, it's mm -hmm. just, it's just, you know, it's magical realism taken to a very successful place and a very superior movie, you know? And it, then I just wanted to watch The Green Knight once that was over, but I have no clue where that is on streaming. So I guess I would rate Peter, you know, a skip, and Pete, definitely watch it, because it's a pretty dang good movie. Yeah, I think that, uh, I think we need to call it a day on the, Pete, the Peter Pan live-action adaptations. I don't know why that's so such a big. thing that, that's a thing that filmmakers have such an obsession with, because... You know, we've gotten this and we've gotten Ben Zietlan did uh, Wendy, which wasn't very good. And then there was, the, depending on who you ask, Finding Neverland. And so let's just call it a day on the live action Peter Pan. It's been done. There, there even was mm. a live action Peter Pan with uh, Jason Isaacs as as a, mm. as Captain Hook. That was like not even 20 years ago. So, yeah, enough is enough. Like spare us. Yeah. There's other things we could be watching like Star Wars Vision. What even is this? Is this just a bunch of shorts? Is this like an anthology show? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is uh, season two of Star Wars Visions. And I think the between, I've seen both seasons, and between season one and two, I think the sort of mission statement of this show changed a bit because season one was basically like, what if we did a bunch of anime shorts set in the Star Wars universe and we got a bunch of Japanese animation studios to do shorts? And I think that with season two now, they were really, really looking closely at Love, Death and Robots over on Netflix because their mission statement has sort of changed in that 
hey, why don't we do a bunch of shorts, but let's do them from animation studios from all over the world in all these different styles. Because if season one had a downfall, it was that it leaned too heavily on like the anime art style and every single short looked the exact same. But with this one, season two, they've gotten a bunch of studios and they've gotten a bunch of heavy hitter studios. You got Ardmans in there. Um, you've got uh, studios from, I think, South Africa, Korea. Um, there's a couple from South America in there. Just all diff all these different art styles. And um, I know that, Car oh, Cartoon Saloon did one, the, uh, the Irish animation studio that did the Secret of Kells movie. And so, yeah, you've got a bunch of heavy hitters this season. And yeah, this is great. I mean, I watched all nine episodes. The, the shorts are only at most about 15 minutes long. And this season, yeah, the animation is incredible. And yeah, this season just had a bunch of really, really great, you know, stuff. And there wasn't a there wasn't a bad one in the bunch. I mean, there's ones that are, you know, definitely better than others, but um, they're just nice to look at. And, um, you know, I would tell anyone to go out and watch all nine episodes. But if you want just a taste of how good this is, just go and watch the very first episode because they've they've led with their best foot forward. And the, the first episode is it is incredible. It's it's called Sith. And it's um, the style of it is really interesting because what happens is throughout the short, the 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 short gets more color added to it so it starts off very like black and white and it almost looks like unfinished storyboards and then as the short goes on they add more color and they add more detail and then by the end of the short it, it's it looks just crazy wow. um and yeah so yeah go see it i mean this is um this is one of the better star wars things i think they released it for may the 4th this year and um kind of under the radar but uh yeah this was this was great that's really neat mm -hmm. i'm gonna have to check that out but mm -hmm. speaking of starting with your best foot forward you gotta do that with a show you really have to make an impression like like <laughs> that first episode of like true detective or, you know, for example um because hbo has a new show about the white house plumbers and this first episode is a little rocky there's some very questionable editing in the first half of the, the pilot of this show, a historical comedy drama. Like it's basically like a, a, a like a workplace satire farce, you know, about this, the people who did all the, the skullduggery and bullshit for Nixon, you know, during the Watergate era, you know, starting around the time of the Pentagon Papers when Daniel Ellsberg dumped all the, the Vietnam, you know, files, you know, on those newspapers. So this, if, if you are a history nerd like myself, this plays nicely as a backdrop to all the other movies that Hollywood has made about this era and this subject, because you finally get to see like the assholes like E. Howard Hunt and God, what's his fucking name? Uh, G. Uh, G. Gordon Liddy, like as basically like I don't know. In another era, they would have been played by you know, oh, what's his name? Uh, John C. Riley and. Mm. Um, fucking will ferrell you know like this would have been hysterical had those guys done it but it would have gone to gonzo because what this show does really well as it, it kind of finds its footing and the actors really sink into their roles and start having fun 
you know, is it, you, you get the sense that, yeah, like all this happened. It, it's like a, it, it's all really nuts, but it, it's all true. And it's fucked mm -hmm. up that it's true. And it just makes you wonder what's true today. What, like, what was even true? Like, what is even true about what we're saying? You have to ask that question because this is HBO. This is Max, whatever the fuck you want to call it these days. Like, I typed, like, I know I typed it in that way in the document and then it was just changed to Max when I came back. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what's going on? And it's because, yeah, everything is being rewritten. But you really can't rewrite what is hysterical about history. And these individuals are really really silly really silly people who took themselves way too seriously and almost destroyed this great nation that we live in but it's really entertaining watching these actors do what they're doing and i recommend watching it yeah i actually you know had we recorded this episode earlier i wouldn't have seen this but i did actually watch the first episode last night and um yeah it's 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 pretty funny um it, it can be a little hit or miss i think and yeah. i think that woody harrelson's character is a little bit too much of a cartoon character where <laughs> Wait, you know any always jutting out yeah his his really really strange accent i mean i don't know if i mean i'm assuming that's what that guy actually sounded like in real life but his his sort of like gruff like tone is very weird and um yeah, but I mean, it was it was it was watchable. I I thought I really liked the uh, the dinner scene, the the Hitler uh, record scene. That was pretty funny. And that and that's real. Like, like mm -hmm. G. Gordon Liddy is is a freakish part of the you know, the American experiment. He like he existed in pop culture for so long that he was on politically correct with with Bill Maher. You know, back oh, in the day. Like when that was on regular TV, and he was the other hosts. I believe one of them was Marilyn Manson, and like the mom from the Brady Bunch was there too. It, like the '90s were an amazing time because they still had holdovers from, yeah, like the the, the creatures who did the you know the, the bidding of you know, of, of Dirty Dick Nixon. But yeah, like it was fun seeing like that dude from Mad Men show up. I just like he's forever typecast in this era. He's, he just will yeah. never be able to escape it. But yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. And that might be why I'm overly enthusiastic, because I'm just looking forward to creating a super cut of all of like Hollywood's view of what happened. You know, when you take like all the president's men and the post mm. and like all, all that kind of stuff together. But I'm a I'm a weirdo. That's the kind of things I do. I, I, in my spare time, once I'll, I'll I'll confess, I made a cut of Drive that I called the Kavinsky cut because I replaced the soundtrack with Kavinsky songs. Oh, nice! That's it, awesome. I, I found the DVD for it, and I'm like, I don't have the heart to actually plug this in and see how awful it is. <laughs> but Testarossa Auto Drive is a pretty bitchin' song. I, I was mm -hmm. reminded of that. But what is going on here with this show? What is yeah. Unicorn? Yeah, so this is the um, new show from Gedney Tartofsky, who I will follow to the ends of the earth. And so that is why I watched this show with such a horrible name. <laughs> I, I just think that the name is god awful. But the show itself, pretty pretty good. And uh, I mean, Tartofsky never misses. And this is, it's definitely not the case with this. This is, this is really awesome. There's only two episodes out right now. So that, I mean, and they're shorter episodes. So, I mean, there isn't much to this show yet, but 
I really like the premise. Essentially, what what the show is, it, it's very heady for him too, for Tartofsky, because he he does a lot of like wordless protagonists, you know, between like Samurai Jack and then um, the caveman from Primal. You know, neither one of them talks very much, but this is the very high concept, very heady and very talkative for him. And what the premise basically is, is that there are these three um, immortal warriors that like participate in, um, you know, events all throughout the course of history and what they do is they they inhabit a new body every time they do it and then when that body dies or when they are killed their soul gets absorbed by their like robot companion and then their their immortal robot companion you know um once history moves forward he deposits their soul into a new body when it is needed and so it's pretty it's pretty nuts like basically it's these these three immortal warriors that sort of use people's random people's bodies to you know do their bidding and then once they're killed they go and take another body and it's it's pretty interesting yeah it is this is is the most this is the most fucked up magical girl anime ever basically (laughs) it is it's it's a pretty messed up concept for i mean this isn't this is an adult swim show so they can be a little bit more um you know racy they can be a little bit more violent with it it's not a standard cartoon network show but yeah for a cartoon it is it is pretty high concept and um yeah really really enjoy it I, i i'm i mean definitely gonna keep watching i loved primal so much and this is you know just more of that tartofsky goodness and um it's available on hbo max now and i really really am thankful for that because one thing that hbo max has been doing more recently is um uploading cartoon network and and adult swim shows the day after they premiere on actual tv and so yeah, I would encourage anyone to go and watch this on on Max now. Cause yeah, God knows they they got rid of Mr. Pickles and you know Uncle Grandpa fucking quick. They got to give us something <laughs> new to watch. I'll have to check that out. That is amazing. Have you ever seen Hotel Transylvania? I haven't. No, I know he did those though, didn't he? He did. For yeah. for what they are, they're kind of fun. They're basically just animated Adam Sandler, Gendy Tarkovsky you know, family movies. Mm-hmm. So don't expect much, but yeah. like, I, I, I would, they're good palate cleanse every once in a while. Cause you can be like, Oh yeah, at least I like how it looks, you know? And, <laughs> and it has like a genuinely cartoony sensibility. Cause so many, like because of Pixar, they all have to take themselves so fucking seriously and slapstick can't be a thing that people laugh at. God. Mm-hmm. But that brings us to our feature review. And my intro for this, I, I'm, we were recording this on a Sunday morning. I saw this uh, Friday evening. And James Gunn, with this movie, in some respects, this is an evaluation of himself. This is him doing his, you know, like, like a lot of filmmakers, doing his therapy in public. Because he knows as a public figure, he kind of has to. He can't exercise his demons just just on Twitter, because that's what got him in trouble in the first place. But as far as these movies and these characters that he has made so many love and care about, 
he has been the best storyteller within the, the medium of superhero cape shit. He elevates it from the cape shit. He took Cosmic Marvel from this niche little weird subset of the comics that I was really fascinated with and taken with, and he made it mainstream in a way that robbed me of it. You know, which, which, which is what happens to all good things. Because these were the characters that, you know, stood out amongst this crowd and were truly allowed to be all that they could possibly be away from the confines of Manhattan, which, you know, eventually swallows up all Marvel characters eventually. You know, you're just, you know, in the Big Apple fighting crime, even though you're a space god, which is what makes the, it's the environment. It's being open to all the possibilities before Rick and Morty made it cool. But, you know, doing it in a way that is rooted in reality and not just in chaos. You know, what is order here and what is centering here is, you know, emotion, it's family, it's, you know, trying to grapple with loss, trying to grapple with things you cannot have. This is a Marvel movie actually about something. All of these Marvel, all of these Guardians of the Galaxy movies have been. And in this one in particular, it turned me into a blubbering mess at the end. And Marvel movies don't make me cry. They make me, my eyes roll. But uh, like the, 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 the moist meter of, of my eyes was to like such an extent this go around that, you know, by the end, I like had to just, you know, like walk, find a quiet place and be alone because it hit me in such a place, you know, seeing everything come full circle, you know, it, you know and that's what James Gunn has done here. He's gone full circle, come to close to closing his circle rather you know, with his all of his time at Marvel, his entire impact of it is encapsulated in this trilogy that, you know, took a long time to, you know, you know, there was a lot of delay to actually getting it, but you can just tell that everyone involved gave their all. And if this movie doesn't make a billion dollars, there's something really wrong with the world. Because this is the one that you should be seeing. This is the one that you should want to succeed. Because this is when it's done right. And I think it sets the tone for what his tenure at DC is going to be like. Because like no one does superhero movies better than James Gunn. That is my hot take for the day. And he has proven it with this movie. I know it might be uneven for some. But I was captured along the whole ride. It was quintessential you know, comic book storytelling on the big screen, in widescreen. It gave me everything I wanted. And that's really all I can ask of it. Where did you leave it? Yeah, well, you know, I think that as we get further and further away from the Infinity Saga, that people, you know, and, the, and these characters disappear and these storylines disappear one by one and are replaced by different characters, worse characters and worse storylines that people are really going to be pining for, like, the better days. And this movie just adds another thing to the pile of problems with phase four and five of the MCU, you know, between the, 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 between the shoddy writing and the, the directionlessness of phase four and the awful, like incredibly superficial, meaningless political overtures. This sort of adds a new problem and that what that problem is going to be is an inability for these films to get out from under nostalgia Yeah. because this movie gives you a taste of that old MCU. It gives you a taste of 
you know, oh, it makes you remember like, oh yeah, this is what the, these movies can be after this string of shit that we've gotten. And so for me personally, that was enough. And I, I really enjoyed this. I have, I have a couple of reservations that I'll get into later. Um, but on a whole, yeah, really enjoyed myself. Because that's the thing. This is a, a movie that with a straight face will be like, oh yeah, this is the t year 2014 version of a character and take that concept seriously. That is such <laughs> an absurd comic booky trope to ha have in a mainstream movie, but to have it like be handled with maturity and grace by the writer, you know, and, and not just, you know, something that is ignored, you know, like, it, I don't know, because like you could totally see some producer being like, well, why can't they just get back together? You yeah. know, like, why can't they just fall back in love? You know, and you, you want the end result is something a lot more interesting because it hews close to the medium for a change, you know, in, in that respect. Like, I was kind of reminded of because, like, I don't know, like Spider-Man and Peter Parker, Mary Jane, they're never going to really be back together again, from what I understand, mm -hmm. because of, you know, that creative decision. And now the same mm -hmm. thing has you know, affected these characters, and it, but it like it didn't piss me off that that is the, the 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 end result of the fate of these, you know, the storytelling here. I don't know. It, I, I'm I'm curious what your reservations are, mm -hmm. just because like my, you know, my you know like my my moistened eyes couldn't see clearly, <laughs> you know, like because I don't like like where where were the missteps or like the 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 the, the hangups and the and the giddy up as it were. Yeah, so I guess, you know, my big problem with this, just to get them out of the way, is... Um, okay, I, I'll say I didn't... And it wasn't because of the animal abuse, but I did not like those scenes, those flashback scenes. And oh. here's why. It's because um, I feel... Uh, James Gunn has been working exclusively in the superhero movie genre for the past decade. And the trend that I'm noticing with his superhero films is that he almost goes into them. I feel like I, I don't have any proof of this, of course, but I feel as if he goes into them with sort of the Pixar mentality of uh. here. Here's the scene where you're going to cry. And this is the scene I want you to cry at. And, yeah. you know, Pixar, that's what Pixar has become known for, you know, everybody always talks about, you know, what's the scene from the Pixar movie that made you cry or whatever. And, and I feel like gun almost comes from that school of thought where in guardians one, it's Peter Quill's mommy issues and guardians two, it's his daddy issues. Um, in peacemaker, it's peacemakers, daddy issues. <laughs> so a lot of, a lot of issues. And, um, and so, you know, these are the scenes that I think are probably the the least well executed in all of his works. And um, in this one, I don't think it's any different. I think that I find it, I found those scenes, those flashbacks with Rocket to be incredibly emotionally manipulative. And I knew from the second that that first flashback happened or started, I knew exactly where we were going with the, with those scenes. Exactly. And between that and like the 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 tweeness of Rocket's pals, I just couldn't handle it. Like the the oh, they were all like 
Yeah. The sky is that the sky? And just like I, you know, I I couldn't I couldn't do it. And so that was my main problem, I guess, with the and you know I we we can we'll talk about this later, but that is you know when I look at him as the writer and director of the next Superman movie <laughs> that that is where I'm like oh man I really hope that I really hope that he can handle that material you know I really hope that he can do the emotional stuff better in that movie but we can we can save that for later but um but yeah I mean that that's my big reservation with the movie I I um I don't know. I just didn't. Those just didn't hit for me. I I knew what they were doing, and I think that they, you know, they served their purpose. Those scenes, but um, I just I saw through them. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I was totally just caught in the net, dude. That 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 stuff worked for me. I was yeah, it, I because I found it grimdark. You know, like it, it was mm-hmm. twee, but it was too an you know and you know and it was excessively twee and cutesy and whatever and it was obvious exactly what was going to fucking happen and mm-hmm. yeah it would have been more artful to not just like cut their heads off in front of us which is like effectively what he does yeah. you know because he could have he could have hidden it a little bit not that it needed to like it could have happened off screen but there was definitely a more artful way to you know get the, that tragedy and that backstory in there like he, he could have had all the cutesy twee shit, you know, in there, and then just like, and then just had like a throwaway line or like a half reference to it. But it was just so in your face. But at the same time, speaking of faces, I, I, that 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 part was pretty awesome. Seeing his revenge, you know, Rock, Rocket's yeah. revenge, and how he clawed off the high evolutionary's face, because as a villain, I, he was the, like, he was like the blood pumping through the deader parts of this of the movie and it, and that's why I, I those sequences maybe worked for me a little bit more because of how much i was enjoying him on screen and how depraved and evil he was yeah and, and, yeah, yeah that was awesome he he is great um yeah uh the guy from peacemaker uh the actor's name is chuck woody a Jewy, I think is how you pronounce his name. Yeah. And um, yeah, his high evolutionary, I thought was great. Um, it's it's nice to have a villain in these movies again that is just a straight douchebag instead of, you know, in, in the more recent Marvel films, we've been getting these villains that always have to be um, redeemable in some way or they have to, you know, we have to understand their motivations or and whatnot but it's it's nice to get a villain again that is just a straight you know animal experimenting like eugenist douchebag like a literal like exterminator of entire worlds yeah like like a vengeful god that will create a utopia and just completely blow it up at the the smallest flaw you know it's Mm -hmm. it's the most awful evil you know thing that anyone could ever be yeah the the lack of moral moral relativism really saves this movie too because the last Mm -hmm. thing we needed was this guy being preachy like kang was like like i would much rather have like you know this actor i would rather have him take over as kang than have jonathan majors do it at this point because i don't know he just had command 
Like he was awesome. Yeah. Like, he was he was treating this as if it was Shakespeare. Yes. Yeah. Because it because it basically was, you know, like, <laughs> as far as that goes. Like there's a lot of tragedy in this movie, and but at the same time, like it, it is a little excessive and it's a little cloying. Because yeah, we introduced this this planet full of humans just for five minutes later to just blow it all up and to like literally show them getting vaporized because this movie has a mean edge it's nasty in a way oh, that yeah. like none of the other guardians movies are like it's almost callous in the way that it just treats the loss of your know, life and it's funny for a, me a movie being so preachy about that topic like the whole part at the end where they're getting all of the the say we're just getting this the, the sentient sapient species off right we're, we're not going to be you know like we don't care about the the horde of animals in this arc that's blowing up right now you know so we have to have that shot of drax carrying an elephant on his shoulders at the end of the movie yeah <laughs> yeah that was yeah the the ending that uh, you know um the third act of this movie it does get a little stuffed um it has the return of the between King like problem yeah like the they, they sort of felt the need to give you know they needed to give every character their final sort of send off their final sort of like goodbye before you know ostensibly you know the end like the hopefully the end i mean that's something else we're going to talk we got to talk about that those end credit scenes but um yeah, I mean, it was the ending was definitely pretty stuffed. Uh, I, I I could do without like the having two fake out deaths between yeah. Rocket having the fake out death, and then there was that Peter Quill like jumping into space I, fake out I death that they did. That they fucking killed him when his face puffed up. I was like, yeah. the balls on this man, the balls <laughs> to kill to kill Peter Quill like this. And no, they they have to you know, give the the gold guy a chance to redeem himself, you know, and yeah. do something heroic for a change. Like, yeah, like, like what was the whole point of Adam Warlock in this movie? Yeah, why, that why was, was he um, there. I think he was there just so that they could make good on the after credit scenes from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two because that was what they were teasing was Adam Warlock and yeah he was. Um, he wasn't i mean um they're they're probably gonna make more um yeah we didn't need the i didn't need the the second death fake out that was sort of weird and yeah the adam warlock stuff that was um all very rushed but yeah hopefully that character gets his due further down the road because he is a very cool comic character and you know i did like will poulter's portrayal of him but um yeah i guess to to get on more positive stuff about the movie because i feel like i've been a little bit negative i i was mostly you know i did mostly like this movie and i want to talk about like the aesthetics and just the the lived-in feel of this movie compared to stuff like ant-man or like mandalorian where you know all these places all these settings they seem like you could reach out and actually touch things you know and you could and there's something gross and there's something i mean that whole sequence at the i think it was called the orgoscope yeah. was incredible you know the the sort of the organic base and the the colorful spacesuits that were a callback to 2001 a space odyssey well, and they were so impractical um, and silly looking yeah. yeah but but they still like those were real those were like yeah. Ethan Fillion was wearing that mhm mm 
well yeah the the organ yeah the, the the suits that the guards were wearing um the sort of the armor or whatever that was and then and then yeah the the what i was talking about was like the different colored oh, spacesuits yeah, the uh yeah when they were jumping in there and and i mean it, it, that whole sequence was just incredible like how just the look of that that um company i guess is what it was and everything down to the little things like the um the secretary woman that was played by uh james gunn's wife how she had that little ball that was a microphone and she would move it to be in front of her mouth when she would speak and then she would put it like behind her when she wasn't speaking i just i loved all that and this this movie just had a very like lived in feel and and that's because a lot of this stuff were actually sets and actually you know like on location filming because I don't know if you remember this, but one of the very first things to leak out about this movie were, were set photos from when they filmed the, the scenes when they first land on Counter-Earth okay. in that neighborhood. And, you know, all that stuff was real. The, the neighborhood was an actual neighborhood and all of the animal stuff were actual costumes. It wasn't just CGI yeah. people. Those were, those were all real costumes. And... Um, yeah, I just I I have to commend the movie for that. The car that you know they're they're driving even has chair beads on it for crying out loud. Yeah. Because it's like an Asian bat family. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm not trying to like get us you know canceled or pulled off the air or anything like that. But that made me laugh a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, I know exactly what you mean though, because yeah, all those other movies that have like I, I think. Uh, gore over at film threat refers to it as like the the ikea chair problem because like mm. when it comes to the imagination of set dressers on these billion dollar franchises the best they can come up with is buying literally something off the ikea catalog and just passing it off as being oh they're on coruscant you know like isn't it <laughs> chic you know come on like you try a little harder you know like there was like a specific like toy that was reused across like star trek and like shows like sliders as like a prop sometimes it's a scanner sometimes it's a gun sometimes it's a like, just like i don't know what it's a, it's like a butt plug in some show you never know <laughs> but like they keep reusing it because they have imagination you know and it's like and it always like functionally you know was looked effective why is this the best we can do like this shows you the best that you can do if you're using everything at your disposal it's why mm -hmm. those first three Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movies are so superior because especially the first one because that was the one that most leaned into the practical and you know corporeal production you know choices you know when it came to like incorporating CG into it or you know using forced perspective and bigotures I don't know I don't know if we had bigotures in this but like everything still was convincing which is ultimately what you want you don't you want it mm -hmm. to look like it's actually being shot by a camera and not just you know you're conjured out of thin air and it's amazing when you can do that with something as fantastical as this which is why it was so helpful that they could just you know go to some new jersey neighborhood and you know shoot or wherever that was Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, um, I think it, it's definitely a testament to Gunn's sort of background doing like trauma films and like, you know, splatter fest type stuff. And 
um, he he definitely has like a reverence, I think, for act, you know real stuff, real like lived in things, and but in, in that token also really gross deaths. It's really graphic. <laughs> I don't know if I would would want my child to see this fucking movie. No, you know, the, definitely to, not. To speak to your criticisms a little bit, like a little bit of support, because that was my thought. I was like, yeah, I think this is awesome, but anybody under the age of thirteen is tr- bound to be traumatized by this movie. Like this is like watership down levels of trauma, <laughs> like without like being deliberately you know explicit about what happens. But my God, it's fucked up. But at the same time, if your kid loves the su- superhero action shit, this gives you everything that you're looking for on that front. It has the 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 long take like widescreen panel splash page sequences, like that hallway fight. Where like that was great. That was great. Just how it, just yeah. how it, how it just everything just slowed down, and then the you know the door just everything just ramps back up, and oh that was that was that was wonderful. That was the the big goodbye. That where all the money got spent. I wonder how long it took to fucking shoot that, because like the, that that was how Guardians Two began was with one of those sequences when they're fighting that big monster. So I was like waiting for like when are we gonna get that from him? Because like you've alluded to. There's a lot of things that James Gunn knows he has to put to his stuff. And mm-hmm. right along with the you're going to cry here, he knows you have to have the you're going to go that fucking ruled. You know, he has to mm-hmm. give you that, too. And I guess the, the you know hat off to him on at least that because he nailed it there. Yeah, yeah, that that sequence was great. I mean, a lot of the action in this movie was was awesome. You know, there um, that. uh uh, what was it called? The war pig, that one animal creation that was just the the scenes with that and how he got his head ripped off by uh, Adam Warlock and yeah, that was awesome and and just to speak about that hallway scene, you know, one of the things I wanted to cut out or shout out in this movie was and and you can I mean this this has been through all three movies, but the use of music of licensed music and. That hallway scene, of course, was scored to Beastie Boys. And, you know, I just love... I, I, I'm glad that Gunn stuck with that through all three of these movies. And I think that... I, I guess I don't know this for sure. I didn't look into this too much. But the first movie, I think, is music from, like, the 70s. And then the second movie is music from, like, the 80s. And then this this third movie is mostly music from, like, the 90s, I believe. is probably how it works. And... Um, there's, yeah, there's, and just there's I, a I, glaring exception at the there very, is yeah uh, the very the end. end of the movie yeah that's right and um, yeah I just and, and I just love his his use of that stuff uh, the needle drops and the uh, how he opens the movie I mean this movie opens very unexpectedly on almost like a down note where it's just ro- Rocket walking through the street listening to Radiohead's Creep. And it's a, it's a very down tempo way to begin this movie as as the opening credits are scrolling on the screen and so yeah I, I I had to shout that out because that is that was incredible because I guess we might as well bring it up this comes off of because there are references to it if you I don't know if you notice those Easter eggs but the Christmas special because yeah because we, we like bypass we were both going to talk about that and then we were like there's nothing to this this is just yep. silly. And it is just silly. It was just so that they could have a newspaper with a headline saying, Kevin Bacon, uh, abducted by aliens, tells his story. Because that's basically the plot of, of that. But 
yeah, apparently after being, you know, drunk one day, that is the vibe that everyone is being forced to live in because Peter Quill, you know, can't get over Gamora from 2014 not loving him, like the Gamora mm-hmm. that got killed by Thanos. But that's that in the setup, basically, because this circles back to the whole notion of do you own your property? And if you are made by if you are the product of somebody else's work, you know, like mm-hmm. as if like as a rocket raccoon is, what if that person just wants their intellectual property back? Because that that's the plot. It's, it's basically about a corporation being like, oh, I made that raccoon. I need his brain. Bring him to me. And mm-hmm. that is everything that happens, you know, from frame up after that sequence is over. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, that that is very interesting. I didn't actually think about that that um, that slant to it, but yeah, that that is definitely the case. And yeah, it, it, it's sort of an interesting aspect of it that they didn't explore. Because again, going back to sort of the unrepentant like assholeness of the bad guy, um, you know, he doesn't bring up that fact very often. He's just you know he's just kind of like oh, I just want to destroy it and. Um, when I think that he, he you know, he, Gunn probably could have included that as sort of a message in in that, like, hey, I own you, and so I, you know, I get to have you back, but he didn't, and so, yeah, again, kind of a testament to not making the villain a uh, a redeemable person, and yeah. and uh, you know, one one thing while we're on that subject, one thing that I thought was very interesting was that he chose not to show his death uh-huh that's something that i was thinking about it because he, they show him on the floor there with his disgusting red skull face and um but that's it that's the last time you see him and you know you can assume that he blew up on his ship i guess because rocket refused to kill him but i i wonder if they're gonna do something with that guy down the road you know, I hope they do because I love this character. I want this villain mm-hmm. to come back. He rules, and mm-hmm. and and I don't know because we we might whatever team that remains of the Guardians of the Galaxy at the end of this movie. I hope the lineup gets beefed up a little bit before they trot out another movie. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's going to be even harder and harder to get even the people that they they made the Guardians at the end. You know, you'll meet up again so i don't know they they almost need to have the guardians be on ice for a really long time so that the next time that they show up it's for the big event movie and then they can get to have them be wiped out and then replace the roster with whoever the fuck they want you know and, yeah. and, and actually you know, have plan it's a little bit better but i don't know I mean, maybe we don't want rocket to get killed after everything he went through here but I guess what did you make of the after credit work from this movie? Yeah, was it was it oh, just man, there I, to make you cry? It was some more. Was it just more of that? So, are you speaking about the the variant the words that came up on screen? Oh, Is that where you? I guess we were, I was going to get to that, but just the, okay. the one of you know, of him, you know, going back to his find his grandpa. You know. Oh yeah. yeah. No, that was that was good. I thought you know that was. Um, you know, as sort of the ending of the movie, I mean, um, the after credit scene with him and his grandpa was fine, but the actual ending of the movie, I thought, Oh, with that, with that dangling. Yeah. Like, how is he going to come back? 
Like, if he, yeah. is he ever going to, like, should he come back? Well, that, I mean, well, I, I, I was kind of speaking more along the lines of what you were talking about with his grandpa. I thought that was very well-earned. That's kind of been Star-Lord's arc throughout these three movies, is that, you know, he's never wanted to return to Earth because, you know, that's where all of his memories lie. That's where all of his, you know, trauma lies. But him finally going back and sort of confronting that, I thought that was pretty well-earned. But but the very very end oh man i i i audibly like in the theater when it came up with star lord will return i audibly was like really like come on because like let's let's just let it i mean if you want to do a different guardians film with a different team go ahead but let's just let star lord be done yeah we don't need someone new carrying on the name in fact, the the good movie to make is Star Lord. You know, gets back in the saddle and finds out somebody has been using his name, and then has to reestablish himself as Star Lord. I have just done all their work for them. Strike <laughs> is going yeah. on. They can have that one for free. You know, the, the, that's what I would do. You know, let him be on the shelf for a little bit, and then have that be the entire movie. That would be fun. Mm. If it's just like ego driven and silly like that. Like, you're like, did you learn nothing in your time with your grandpa? Come on. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if they want to do another Guardians, I suppose they could. But I mean, at the end of the day, I, I really just wish that as much as this film seems like an end, like a definitive end, I mean, it really probably isn't. And I really just wish they could let sleeping dogs lie because i don't really want i'm not really interested in a in a james gunn less guardians of the galaxy movie like it's not like who are they gonna get to do a guardians of the galaxy movie now you know i don't want to see fucking peyton reed's guardians of the galaxy or i don't want to see like i don't know like francis lawrence's guardians of the galaxy about, you can't about, replace what about benson and morehead I mean, maybe, but they, I mean, their, their comic book stuff hasn't been the greatest either because Moon Knight was kind of a, you know, not that great. And there, there are two guys who I think, um, unfortunately, the studio vision won out over the creative vision for the project that they worked on. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I wish they would just let it be done, but they're not going to. Yeah, but, um, I don't disagree with you. That, mm -hmm. that I would much rather it be put to bed because mm -hmm. because otherwise yeah this is just his way of being like now you have to put my brother in Marvel movies forever you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean because now he's <laughs> yeah. whistling that arrow around what did you think of Yondu's cameo his little like forest ghost moment at the end there? yeah that was fine I mean I thought I thought that um Sean Gunn's arc was was fine for especially for like a minor character I thought that he had a pretty good arc and that's that's what that character should stay as is is a minor character but um I think that there's not a lot of meat to that that character otherwise I don't think and so I thought that was fine but but yeah I mean to, to speak um I guess I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to touch on but as we sort of speak more about the future oh yes um so gun is now over to dc forever probably he, he, the next 20 years at least probably at, at dc and um 
So as as this movie being sort of the most recent point of reference for his career, how do you feel now about him making that jump and about, you know, what comes next for him, which is the, um, I mean, it's the Creature Commandos and then the uh, Superman movie is the big thing. See, I think they both are going to fulfill the different, like, you know, he, there, there's two different faces to James Gunn. Mm-hmm. There's his Pixar side, and then there's his trauma side. And Creature mm-hmm. Commandos is his trauma side, and the Superman legacy will be his Pixar side. So it is going to have that that boilerplate you know, formula that we will expect from him, unless he really surprises us in some good ways. Because, yeah, either he's going to make a really earnest and sincere like Superman movie, but it'll be more like Sam Raimi Spider-Man than anything else. That's what I feel like we're going to end up getting. It's going to be you kind of idealized to whatever Gunn's vision of Superman is. And and that era, you know, might be very specific. Kind of like how the Ditko comics, you know, era really informed what Raimi Spider-Man movies were like. Mm-hmm. You know, that, so that that's where I th- I think we're going to be, you know, going with it. But at the same time, I, I really want him to lean into the weirdness of what appears to be his inspiration, which is All-Star Superman from, you know, Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely. Yeah. Like if if we're if you're gonna tease me like that, like which is what Zack Snyder did, but Zack Snyder doesn't have the capacity to actually truly be comic booky in that way, and really embrace the lineage and the legacy of the character. So yeah, give me something with some real meat on its bones, but like have it be dry aged a little bit. That's that's what mm-hmm. I'm hoping he does. And based on what we got out of this movie, because it was basically dry aged. Like, this thing should have been in the pipeline and made before Infinity War even came out, arguably. It almost, mm-hmm. like, I, I don't know, like, that's you could probably go, actually, if you look at this and that, you'll know for sure that <laughs> it, it was was never going to come out before Infinity War. And then, you know, COVID, of course, happens. and But him being canceled really delayed things. You, mm-hmm. you have to admit that. So... If he hadn't been canceled, if the, he had been full bores, full steam ahead on making volume three before you know 2020, do you think that we would have gotten this movie exactly? How would it have been different? I think, you know, I think that is like the butterfly effect because I honestly believe that had he never been fired temporarily by marvel we never would have gotten suicide squad which means he never would have become this new like dc exec none of this stuff would have happened this dc executive stuff he that never he would have stayed at marvel and he would have done guardians of the galaxy volume three and maybe more at marvel after that even but i think because of his sort of temporary temporarily being fired that's the only reason why he's even in the dc wheelhouse i think yeah exactly otherwise yeah he was in the stable he was he was totally totally you know saddled and corralled you know even though he was able to make the movies he's you know, he has the most individuality out of anybody mm-hmm. who's worked on a marvel project you know, like, like, yeah, fuck you, Taika Waititi. You're just trying too fucking hard, you know, com- <laughs> you know in comparison. Because yeah. these, these Guardians of the Galaxy movies always stood out to me, not only because they were cosmic Marvel, but 
they like I like I used you know that, that phrase earlier. They're rooted in the reality a little bit more. They they don't feel like just these you know totally homogenous commercial products that are rammed down our throat every cycle. You know, like it actually feels like I'm getting a a, a movie, you know, and not just yep. an experience. And yeah, and that's in its favor. So yeah, and again, and that's why like Ant Man didn't fucking work. You know, like it was plasticine. This this you could see the sweat you could smell the dirt you know you, you can, like i don't know it was tactile mm. in, a, in that sense and, and yeah. i really look forward to what he's gonna do and if his how deep his influence will extend because yeah we mm. wouldn't have peacemaker we wouldn't have any of this we wouldn't have this renaissance potential renaissance you know on the horizon even the possibility of it dc would still be directionless it would still be mm. a mess all of the those like fools would still be in control over there they would not have been fired if another way hadn't been shown and otherwise they would have been stuck with the Snyderverse they would be like they would have been trapped if Suicide Squad hadn't come out they would have been trapped with Zack Snyder they would have yeah. been bullied into making they releasing Zack Snyder's Justice League and the end result is he would have risen you know, like that wave would have crested no matter how well it would have done and they would have no choice and no imagination but to go with Snyder and just to like give him his second chance instead that that's the the dark you know, you know branch off of reality that could have been because yeah, mm -hmm. yeah you know James Gunn maybe would have gotten bored eventually he maybe would have been Favreau'd at some point you know but yeah like he would have been a Marvel guy instead of being the guy at dc and it's it's a little crazy that hey edgy tweets pay off if you think about that's the <laughs> yeah. moral of the story yeah yeah i have um i i do have hope for superman legacy because he you know he's he's doing and saying all the right things i think like he um he's posting the right stuff on twitter the right pictures from his favorite comics and he's um in interviews you know he has the awareness because in interviews he's he's said that uh at the very least that guys i understand that i can't just make a guardians of the galaxy movie and and superimpose it onto superman i understand that this must be something different this must feel different this must look different it can't just be guardians of the galaxy with Superman or something. And so that would be very I, I, inappropriate. It would not work. Yeah. So yeah, I do have hope for it. He he has the awareness. He, he's saying and doing all the right stuff and so we we will we will see. But yeah. Go go see Guardians. Absolutely. Because I don't know. I had didn't check the box office. Is it on track for a Billy? I think so. Yeah, it I think um uh last time I checked it was at about 210 million uh for uh thursday night showings and then friday showings so pretty pretty good pretty good because it has to beat super mario bros but that brings up the question <laughs> what is what is the problem that critics have with this movie is it it's is is it the edginess is it the the how gross and scuzzy you know some of the its moments were like it's just it's too icky for all of its wholesomeness they can't quite swallow it whole i think that's part of it i i've been surprised with the number of you know as i've been 
reading reviews or, or watching videos reviews the number of critics that like can't handle like pg-13 animal abuse scenes is very odd to me because like I don't know. I feel like these people value animal lives more than they do human lives sometimes, and, and that they. It's kind of the joke to me because, like, yeah. it's literally like, like I laughed at the ending when when they're all like, "I thought we were just taking this the intelligent species," and they were like, "No, Rocket says they all must come," or whatever the line is, like, uh -huh. like because that's kind of the message at the end. There, it's like we have to value all uh, all of of, of existence all of Gaia's creatures you know it's it's not just the the ones that look like us even if they are you know animal human hybrids yeah 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 hey well there, there's this I, there's this trend like with especially like our generation and people younger than us where like people can't handle i mean animal abuse is awful in real life like don't get me wrong but our generation can't handle like animal abuse for some reason even if it's fake and there's like whole websites devoted out there devoted to like does this movie contain animal abuse you know um or like an animal not even like necessarily abuse but just scenes with animals that are like hunting scenes or whatever and uh, it's just a it's a very it's a very odd um quirk about our generation where we just like can't and that's i think that's part of it i mean to get back to your original question i think that's part of it i think part of it is also like um uh, the law of diminishing, diminishing returns, where if you look at this movie's scores on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic and all those aggregator websites, the mo the movies have gone down precipitously. And I think that has to do with part of it. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. I think there's also like a, a lot of critics who are taking the position that phase four of the mcu is actually good because of all of these meaningless political overtures it's making and the bad mcu is actually this more nostalgic stuff the now and Marvel. yeah this is the bad stuff you know the nostalgia is bad and um you know a cast list with um too many white people is bad and you know yada 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 um, repeat ad in infinitum. They, you know, they, they paint the magic black girl green, so therefore it's racist. Actually, you yeah, know, that, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's unhelpful because this movie has a lot to say for everyone. It has a very neutral, poli but political and you know, ethical message. It's like, should we just let the Elon Musk's of the world engineer the like us? You know, by buying Twitter by buying like the, the 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 healthcare companies that exist out there like because that's all that the high evolutionary is he's an elitist who somehow has the ability he's a technocrat you know like it's a condemnation mm -hmm. of technocrats within you know a vehicle for selling toys and video games to children you know and you I usually you champion that but yeah because it's not you know more specific or tuned to you know, like issues like what's the north dakota legislature doing this month because like that kind of thing seems to be more the priority you know like we we have to have the the same-sex relationship be in you know light year that needs to be in mm -hmm. there and if, if when it's in there it's not offensive there's nothing wrong with it you know like that by any measure but it still is insisted upon 
even though they won't show it that way in the like Saudi Arabia, you know, in the, in the Middle East and countries like that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. like, do you want your messages to be hollow or do you want them to be genuine? You know, because like the messages of this movie are wholesome. They're ultimately sweet. And yeah, we, we, I want to be able to swallow what is being put in front of me instead of just, you know, be annoyed by it. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. And yeah, I give my, my full endorsement of going out and seeing this movie in theaters. And yes. um, Do definitely those people who watch it on Twitter, because like apparently like 10 million people <laughs> yeah. have seen like Super Mario Brothers on Twitter so far, because like yeah. that is how easy like these things get out there. Uh, God, what is it? Like there's some like gambling website that surely must know what they're doing. Because all they are creating like full-on ads. It's like some Indian betting website, and uh -huh. they they are the the who fuel the the streaming like illegal streaming websites on the internet right now. It is all their product because that's what it is. They are the people <laughs> sending people with cameras into movies so that they can get cam rips online quickly, so that they can mm -hmm. have a, a URL plastered for their website over top of it. And so the, the, there could be commercials that they have cut into the movie, including people mm -hmm. just reading like VO over top of it. Don't ask me how I know this. I just know that it's <laughs> happening. Yeah. Oh, my God. Because yeah, it's going to be a long time before we get good marble again. That's kind of the moral of the story here. Because the individualists are now completely done and gone. What's going on here? What are you trying to do with my <laughs> phone, November? Yeah, here you go. Yeah, it's it'll it'll be interesting to see, you know, how everything plays out now with I mean between between gun leaving and then the writer strike, we will see I mean the bad. Yeah, the only movie I believe that they have in, in the can is the Marvels movie, which I mean I personally don't have any hope <laughs> for, but <laughs> I am gonna watch that as like you know, it's just for comedic purposes. It looks yeah. hysterical. But that brings up a good something that a connection, a through line through various subjects over like the last few weeks. Is this massive drawdown coming from Disney? Was that them anticipating the writer's strike? Was that them basically going, hey, we don't have to do half this garbage because we don't actually have anything written yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it totally could be because, I mean, as we said earlier, the talks between the writers and the producers guilds have been going on for about six weeks. And it's the the inevitability of it, I think, was kind of a given um, probably after a certain point. And so, yeah, I think that they probably knew this was coming. They didn't have quite as much of notice as they did for the 2007 strike, because for the 2007 strike, they were they had so much notice that they were literally just like they had writers furiously writing scripts so that they they knew that they would have them ready for when the strike happened. And I don't think they had that much notice for this one. But yeah, they definitely had some. Gotcha. Right on. Well, anything else you wanted to say before we moved on? I don't think so. I think we can move on. Yeah. Beautiful. So definitely go see this, you know. Do not watch it on your phone on the questionable website. And check out our mentionables. What was yours this week? Yeah, so my mentionable is uh, Batman issue 135, the comic book that came out this week. That is 
Legacy issue 900, which is a pretty big deal. They uh, typically make every every 50 issues or so, they call it a landmark issue and they you know do a oversized issue and you know usually it's the culmination of some sort of arc or some sort of event and this particular issue was the culmination of chip zadarsky's first uh arc of his run on batman and it's been fantastic his his arc has been great i've just loved every every issue of it and um i'm i'm curious to see where he goes with it he basically sent Bruce Wayne to an alternate version of Gotham where the Joker never existed and kind of the ramifications that head on Gotham. Mm. And then um, in this this last issue, um, this most recent one, he concluded that arc and he is hinting at some pretty weird places where he's going with this now, where I don't know if you're familiar with the um, Batman of Zoran R., I am. I love that. Yeah. He's hysterical. He, he is, he's hinting that that character is going to play a pretty huge role in his next arc. And so I'm very, very curious to see where that goes. And, um, yeah, this, this, it was a great issue. And, um, you know, I'll say just to kind of piggyback on this, um, by the time people see this, it'll of course have already happened, but, um saturday was free comic book day this this week and so yeah go i mean even even though you're too late to go to your comic shop on the actual day go and visit your local comic shop and get some free comics because they more than likely have a shit ton of extras a shit ton of leftovers so yeah go to your comic shop and pick up some free comics and buy some stuff too yeah, even my not. I just found this out. I like it hot off the presses. We're finally getting like a, I guess another comic book shop. We have one. It's just kind hmm. of more of. I don't know if they actually get new stuff. I think they just have like long boxes with a bunch of old '90s shit, more than likely. Sure. But someone's opening up a new shop, and I'm gonna have to check it out one of these days. My mentionable is something that I was trying to read to November at night and. It's been difficult, but I was just reminded of how much I liked this book by Eva Ibbotson called The Secret of Platform Platform 13. She beat J.K. Rowling to the punch about, you know, having a fantasy book where there's a secret magical entrance to another world in a a King's Cross platform. Uh, Hmm. But this just the, the premise is simply that there's a magical island. The the prince of this island is a baby is accidentally left behind you know in the real world and the gump door closes for you know like 10 years and then it opens back up and a young hag and a bunch of like other magical characters go on an adventure to try and retrieve him but it's it's very you know simple but it's it is kind of harry pottery in that way there's even a knickerbocker glory you know, that's integral to the story at some point. Because there was a moment in time where a lot of people online were like, oh my god, Secret of Platform 13 ripped off Harry Potter. And then you realize, oh, it came out three years before. And Ibbotson is so based that she was like, huh, it's awesome. I'm so glad that, you know, J.K. Rowling's being so successful using ideas that maybe arguably could have come from me. I'm not going to be mad about it. You know, she would just, like, let it happen. But this is a fun sure. little book. It's good for people of a certain age and, you know, people like me who, like, who 
you know, regress a little bit here and there. <laughs> what was your pick of the week? You know, it's. I think it's got to be Guardians. I, I had a pretty good week um, as far as the stuff I watched, but I want to say that it's Guardians because this is the first time in a long time that I've been able to say, go see a Marvel movie in the theaters. And I feel like that's like a special occasion now. And so I will make Guardians my pick of the week. I will echo that. It's exactly, it's, it's a rarity, you know, that I feel like anybody of, you know, whoever you are should be able to like, look at this and be like, yeah, I would want to see this. This is crowd pleasing. It is, you know, meant to make you happy, but yeah, be aware that you might have to, you know, have a difficult conversation about end of life scenarios with your child. Um, but yeah, this was theater and stream. Thank you for watching. Have a good week, everybody. And take care. Yep. See ya.